Well, that was good singing, and it's good to gather together to praise the Lord, to lift up our hearts and our voices unto him. Let us turn again to Ephesians chapter 2. I want really this morning to consider uh, this book of Ephesians, not verse by verse, of course, but just its message. Uh, As I approached the book of Ephesians now, a few months ago I went through it, There's a phrase really springs to my mind concerning this book, and it's this, it's all here. It's all here. As regards the gospel of the grace of God, it's all here in this book. Amazing. So with our Bibles open, let us pray for God's help. Father in heaven, we are before thee now and Lord, we cannot hide from thee. Our thoughts, the intents of our heart are all open before the all-seeing eye of God. And so, Lord, we ask thee, as we sing in that hymn, Just As I Am, to bless and to work, to move in our hearts and minds, And Lord, as we speak a little of this wonderful epistle to the Ephesians, Lord, that the Spirit of God will write it, some great truth of it, upon our hearts. That we'll understand in our minds, but we will be moved, deeply moved, in our hearts. And that our wills will be submissive, even to thy word. Bless all thy people, if there be any amongst us, Lord, who are not yet converted. Lord, show them the way, even this morning. I pray for the help of thy blessed Spirit, so that God's people will be edified, and the Lord Jesus glorified in our meeting today. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Yes, it's all here. This marvelous gospel of the grace of God. The book of Ephesians is full to the brim of wonderful teaching concerning that gospel. Concerning the gospel from the aspect of God. It is his gospel. The gospel from the aspect of a poor lost soul, how they can be saved, and the gospel with regard to the people of God. Because let us all remember that as far as the deep things of God and the wisdom of God, there is nothing deeper, nothing greater than the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where God has manifested his great power and his great wisdom, and indeed for all ages, for all ages, that will be the theme of our praise in heaven. If you look at verse 7 of the chapter we read, that in the ages to come, 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What is God going to do for the people of God in eternity? You know, if we were to speak foolishly, of course, because time shall be no more, but if we were to speak, say, of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of billions of years from now, what will God be doing with the saints in glory? He will be showing the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He will lead us from fountain to fountain and we will learn more about the cross, about the Saviour, about the blood, about all these marvellous and wonderful truths. But I want to centre my thoughts this morning, and I hope your thoughts, around three simple headings. As we think about the saving gospel of the grace of God revealed in the book of Ephesians, let us think first of all of why we need this gospel. And the book of Ephesians is full of this teaching. It's all here. Secondly, how are we saved by this gospel? And then the third thought will be this. Why does God save by this gospel? Why does God choose to save in this way and not some other way? So those are the three headings and we trust the Lord will help us as we work our way through this wonderful subject. First of all, why we need to be saved, why we need this glorious gospel of Christ. And I'm suggesting to you and strongly suggesting it's all here in this book of Ephesians. Let me say, first of all, if you look at chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3, you can see why we need to be saved by the gospel. We are without grace. If you look at verse 2, it says, well, verse 1, and you have the quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then verse 2 begins, wherein? So he's going to explain what it means to be dead in trespasses and sins. He says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. <coughs> even as others. We need the saving grace of God. We need this glorious gospel of God because we are lost in our sins. Now you'll notice, perhaps, you know, when I was saved or even a few months before I was saved as I listened to the preaching of the Reverend Trevor Baxter back then, who was the student minister, Newton Ards. I started to attend, but I wasn't converted yet. 
Perhaps even back then, I learned a little phrase that's common among evangelical Christians. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm sure you're aware of that phrase. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, here's two verses. Perhaps this is where that came from. I don't know who first thought of that little phrase. But they're certainly revealed here. Look at verse 2. You have the course of this world. You know, we need to be saved. And if you're in the house this morning and you're not a Christian, you need to be saved because you're walking according to the course of this world. And that is contrary to the will of God. Contrary to the law of God, this world, the world outside this morning is walking away from God, walking against God. You know, John tells us in his epistles, and this was written away back then, even now there are many antichrists. And in this world there is an anti-Christian Move, And it's always attempting by different ways in different cultures and in different generations, but always trying to pull down and oppose the church of Jesus Christ and the purpose of God. Always. Back then it was so in John's day. Today it is so in our day. And The Bible says evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And so as we have these seasons of apostasy and these seasons of the manifestation of Antichrist, it will culminate when that wicked shall be revealed, who opposes and exalteth himself against all that is called God. And he will seek the very worship of the entire world. And this world, that's why we need to be saved by the grace of God. But then he goes on, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air. Because we're lost in our sins and we have a fallen, sinful nature, Satan, not in the ultimate sense, of course, because we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, And even Satan to Jesus must bow. But there is a sense in which Satan can nearly play with us. He can tempt you one way and he can tempt me another way. He can work through minds. He can work through governments. He can work through institutions. And he, of course, ultimately opposed to to God. And he's the prince of the power of the air. Now, the story's often told about a wee man, a wee brethren man it was, in Portavogie, but I'm sure this is told all over the world. But this wee man in Portavogie, when people started to fly years ago to Spain and Portugal for their holidays, and instead of going to Malaysia, a caravan, <laughs> they were starting to go a bit further. And this wee brethren man looked up at a plane, and he says, you'll never get me up there. 
And he was asked, why do you say that? Oh, I says, the devil's the prince of the power of the air. <laughs> and I'm not going up there. Well, that's not what it means. Praise the Lord, when you're up in an airplane and you're a believer, uh, you're in God's hand. But you see, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There is a spiritual dark world. And Satan is the prince. So you have the world and you have the devil. And then verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, our way of living in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And there's the flesh. So you have the world and you have the flesh and you have the devil. And they're all here in this book and they're all here in those two verses. And this is why we need the gospel and this is why we need to be saved. Because of the world and because of the flesh and because of the devil. And you know, that is a description of what is said in verse 1, dead in trespasses and sins. Dead to God. Dead spiritually. You know, I was thinking on the way over, it's a beautiful morning, and I was thinking about the goodness of God, and I was thinking about the thousands, hundreds of thousands across our nation today who will in some shape or form, enjoy the goodness, but not the goodness of God. What I mean by that, they will enjoy the goodness, but they will not acknowledge it as from God. They'll not acknowledge that even though they be sinful, yet it rains on the just and the unjust, and the sun shines on the just and the unjust, and they receive so much of the the goodness of God, God's goodness over all his creatures and all his creation. But they won't acknowledge it. Why? Because they're in their sins and the world and the flesh and the devil are the great powers and the motivation, motivations of their heart and their mind. And they're lost. I was lost. Every Christian here You were lost. You remember those times. You remember those times when there wasn't the thought hardly of God. Or if you were at a funeral or maybe you read something and there was maybe a rising up in your mind of some thought of God. You quickly suppressed it so you could go on your merry way enjoying the pleasures of sin. For a season. Now let me say this. What we're reading here in these verses, it's not just theology. It's not just theology. It is theology. But this is practically working out in people's daily lives. Let me show you what I mean. Come over to chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Now the Lord here through the apostle he's he's speaking now to believers those who have been quickened we've been looking at what it means to be dead in trespasses and sins the world, the flesh and the devil 
lost in our, our sins. And here Paul is now speaking to the new man, be renewed, verse 23 of ch- chapter 4, in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. And then he says, verse 25, wherefore put away lying. You see, why should Paul tell Christians, don't be lying anymore? That's what you used to do. That's what you did in your sins. And you know, when we were in our sins, it was quite natural to lie. Because in order for self-preservation, and the old ego will always rise up, and in order to preserve ourselves, we will lie through our teeth. We had, I have to say this, but we had an example of that. And I'm not picking on him. He's just like all uh, mankind. But the, the prime minister who's about to leave that office, that man could tell lies like nobody's business. And why? Because he has that thing where he's always trying to defend himself and keep himself right. And so easily he could just say something which was not the truth, not the whole truth at all. But he's not unique. And that is still even possible for a Christian because the flesh, we're still in the world in the sense it's all around us and we still face the devil. And of course that flesh, the flesh is not converted when you're converted, that stays in you until the, either the day you die or the Lord comes. And that old flesh, the remnant, will try and pull you back and pull you down. And so even, listen, even we Christians, if we're put on the spot, how easily and quickly we could tell a lie. And Paul says, put away lying. Verse 26, be ye angry. Verse 28, let him that stole steal no more. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You see, he's describing here those those things that practically live out in everybody's daily lives because they're lost in sin, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's why they need the gospel. And that's why Paul tells us Christians, don't you be doing that anymore. By God's help, don't you let bitterness and anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking rise up in you or or among you. Put it away. You're a believer now. You've been quickened by God's spirit and saved by God's grace. But can you see how Practically, this works out in people's lives. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. See, that's the world. That's the ungodly. That's where we were. But that's not where we are now, and so we're exhorted. Put those things away. Put those things away. You know, in that same chapter 5, if you come down to verse 
to verse to verses number uh, 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. If you come over to chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour thy father and mother. Verse 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Verse 5, Servants, be obedient, obedient to them that are your masters. Verse 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them. Do you see how it practically all of this is working out in people's daily lives? And how quickly, some people, how quickly they can snap. How quickly, and we're seeing it sadly in our nation, how quickly a knife can come out. How quickly a gun can come out. How quickly the fists can fly and the blood can flow. Oh, it doesn't happen all the time and thank God for God's restraining grace even in the, the, the nations and in our nation oh but left to ourselves I tell you left to ourselves what a, an awful place the world would be and this is why we need to be saved in family life industrial relations all of this works itself out until we come to what we're told in Romans 3 and 19, the whole world has become guilty before God. That's, of course, is the ultimate thing and the great thing. We're guilty before God, but also in our everyday living. And you know, the Christian can see this. If you're a Christian... And you're reading your Bible and you have the Spirit of the Lord. You can see this. I, I, I can't remember what it was, but just the other day I was listening to some person on the news or on television it was, and she was given off and talking. And all of a sudden I says... <laughs> And I said it out loud, actually, just showed you. I said, for goodness sake, would you shut up? Would you just shut up? What nonsense. What absolute nonsense fills people's minds and their hearts and their lives. And why? Because they're lost in sin. This is why we need the glorious gospel. And you go through this uh, book as I did a few months ago, and you will see this. Very clearly, it's all here. Number two, quickly. Why we need to be saved. How are we saved by the gospel of the grace of God? How are we saved? Well, I want you to look at this and notice this very quickly here. In chapter 2 again and verse 4. Now, we, we've read and we've, we've looked at verses 1, 2, and 3. And there's... Mankind lost in their sins, the world, the flesh, and the devil dominant 
in their lives. And then verse 4, but God, that's the gospel. But God. You see, there's mankind, lost, condemned, guilty before God, living this life of vain nonsense, going to a lost eternity without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. We read that. And there he would remain, and there mankind would remain, except but God. See, what is the gospel? It's God intervening. But God, look at it, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Listen, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. You see, what is the gospel and how are we saved? We're saved by God. Well, you know, you'd have to say then, what a wonderful salvation if it's the salvation of God. What an eternal salvation if it's the salvation of God. What a strong salvation. It's the salvation of God. This is not the church. It's not, it doesn't say verses 1, 2, and 3, and then, but the church did something wonderful. No, it's God. God has done something wonderful. But then look at verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Now I challenge you, when you go home, you go through this book and mark every reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7 in the ages to come, he'll show the exceeding riches of his kindness through Christ Jesus. Verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're saved. Oh, but then, you know the reference there, and you hath he quickened. Who does this quickening? Come down to verse 18. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit. Verse 22. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. And again, go through the book and mark the references to God, the Holy Spirit. What am I saying today? How does God save us? How does God save us? He saves us himself. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I believe in eternal salvation. I don't believe you can be saved and lost. Now you could profess to be saved. Never had the new birth. 
But if you're truly saved and converted to Christ, you can't be lost. And you know why? Let me put it in a very simple way. I can't lose my salvation because God can't lose me. God can't lose me. Have you ever been lost? When I was a boy, we used to sometimes go fishing. And there's a big lake in Clandy Boy. My father knew the gamekeeper. And so he allowed us in. It was only perch and rudd. But I remember one time we were, <clears throat> me and my brothers and a couple of friends. Oh, I don't know what age I was. 13, 12 maybe. And we were fishing. And you know we were catching so many fish. And we just threw them back of course. And, but we forgot about the time. And we had to walk through the wood to get to the gamekeeper's house. And we got lost in the dark. And I mean lost. We hadn't a clue where we were. We were in the middle of a wood. It was dark. We lost all sense of direction. And we were lost. Couldn't find our way. I remember my my younger brother, he started to, to cry. He was really afraid. And then we heard my father. (laughs) And we heard his voice. And we focused on his voice and we followed to the voice and we were found. I once was lost, but now I'm found. You see, we're saved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But notice this, verse 8, we're saved by grace, not works. Oh man, today, woman, today, anyone hearing our voice today, it's not of works. It is not of works. It's of grace. If you're trying to work your way to heaven, or if you're trying to work or through your works merit a place of justification before God, it will utterly bring you to eternal ruin. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. No, we're saved by the bare grace of God. What is grace again? The free unmerited favor of God. We're saved by him, not us. Do you see what it says there? Verse 8, for, well, the, the end of verse 7, toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. Isn't it amazing, that simple little statement, and that, that needs to be proclaimed constantly. It is not of yourselves. How many people at this very moment are in churches, or so-called churches, across our country and nation, And it's all about themselves. Am I saying enough prayers? Am I giving enough into the church? Am I going to confession enough? Am I attending the mass enough? Am I saying the rosary enough? Listen, it is not of yourselves. It is by him. Notice in verse number 8. 
It's a gift. It's not earned. It's a gift. Even the children here know what a gift is. It's not earned. It's not a wage. Oh, it was earned at the cross, but not by us, by the Saviour. And then again, verse 8, it's by faith only. (laughs) It's by faith only. This is the gospel, how we're saved. Can I close and our time's gone, but why does God save? And why does God save this way? Why does God save by the glorious gospel of Christ? Well, if you look again at verse 4, I'm concentrating really on this chapter, but I encourage you to read the whole book and you'll discover it's all here. But notice, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Now, look at those words, rich in mercy, great love. You see, God saves, and he saves in this way. He saves by the glorious gospel of his grace and his son, Jesus Christ, in order to exhibit and manifest how rich he is in mercy and how great is his love. There was a, I was going to say a time, but there was an eternity past where there was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But there was no creature But now that there is creatures and they are fallen creatures, God is able to exhibit his rich mercy and his great love. Look at verse 7. Again, we emphasize this verse already, but look at it. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. That's why God saves by the glorious gospel. He's going to display for all eternity the exceeding riches of his grace. Do you see this? We have his love. We have his mercy. We have his grace. You know, look at chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Listen, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You know, really, in a sense, you could never sing Amazing Grace enough. Or any other of the great hymns, and I chose the hymns this morning that speak so much of the the grace of God and the gospel of God's grace. To the praise of the glory of his grace. We're not here today praising ourselves. We're not here today praising each other. We're praising God for his grace. We're praising God for his grace. Verse 6. Sorry, verse 12 of that same chapter. Look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Listen, that we should be to the praise of his glory. We first trusted in Christ. To the praise of his glory. 
You see, a true Christian, a true believer, to a greater or lesser degree, will go about their daily business always remembering it's only because of God. It's only because of Christ. It's only because of the Holy Spirit. It's only because of his mercy. It's only because of his love. It's only because of his grace. And I praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Jesus. Our blessed Redeemer. Tell me, have you been brought by the Lord and by the Holy Spirit to the place where you've cast all belonging to this world and the flesh and the devil, I and your own self to the one side, and you have fallen upon God, fallen upon Jesus, fallen upon the gospel, fallen upon the Saviour, fallen upon his finished work on Calvary's cross. You've trusted in the blood. And you're able to say, not have I gotten, but what I received. Grace hath bestowed it, since I have believed. Boasting excluded, pride I abase. I'm only a sinner, saved by grace. Oh, may that message fill and thrill our hearts continually. The gospel of the grace of God. How wonderful, how glorious it all is. Can we sing in closing, please, just a couple of verses of 241. We've been considering these words in great weakness, I know, but I encourage you to get alone with the Lord and read through that wonderful book of Ephesians. But we've been listening to the words of life. And here's a hymn. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Christ the Blessed One gives to all. It's a short hymn. We'll sing it all. And let's stand, please, as we sing.
Father, we do thank thee for those beautiful, wonderful words of life. Jesus, only Saviour, sanctify forever. Oh Lord, we pray that today this glorious gospel of Christ will go out, not only here in Cross Gar and County Down in Northern Ireland, not only across the UK and the Republic and across the world, and souls will understand and see that it's Jesus only. Lord, deliver us from works, religions. Deliver us, Lord, from seeking to earn some standing before thee. But help us to see Christ did it all. All to him I owe. He cried, it's finished. So, Lord, bless us. Take us now to your homes in safekeeping. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our portion today. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen.